1: Well, good morning, good morning, Brazos Valley and beyond. You are listening to KEDC. This is Red Sea Roundup, and I am the host of the day, Pam Marvin. So honored and blessed to get to be here uh, at St. Mary's. I uh, love doing this, and I say I'm just thankful to God and to Dennis for allowing this to happen. Now, in the control room with me today are Kathy Court. Good morning, Kathy. Good morning, Pam. Yeah, and Dennis Maka.
2: Good morning. Good morning.
1: And not really quite in the control room, but via telephone, we have Deacon Robin Waters. Good morning. Good morning, Pam. Good morning. So I'd kind of like to start with you this morning to let us know what's going on in your area.
3: Some really exciting and awesome things going on. First thing I want to mention, and I want to ask prayer to support this event, the uh, Acts of the Holy Spirit, which is a group that at Waco, to, uh, several parishes have combined to form this group. They do axe retreats. They have a Spanish women's axe retreat that is going to take place this Thursday through Sunday. So they're they're geared up, ready to go. They've got all the retreatants. They're prepared. But uh, we need to support them in prayer. It's an awesome uh, experience with the Holy Spirit at, at an axe retreat. If you haven't experienced one, please consider it. So let's play, pray for these women. Uh, this weekend, Thursday through Sunday. I want to mention that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some other events we have going on is uh, on February 3rd through the 5th, the annual DCYC conference is going to be at the convention center in Waco. So all the youth in our diocese will be coming to Waco, usually several thousand, I know three to 5,000 usually make it. uh, Lots of priests and sisters it's a joyful event. It's just awesome to see all these teenagers and, and preteens there that are really growing in their faith and excited about the Lord. So uh, let's pray for those kids and for uh, a great attendance at DCYC, February 3rd through 5th. Awesome. This parish will have a group that typically will, you know, will go with their youth leaders and their pastor. Uh, the day after that, February the 6th, there's actually an adult workshop going on at St. Louis Catholic Church in Waco called Guiding Youth to Sexual Integrity and Abundance of Life. Mm. And it's just a class, just an urgently needed class that is designed for adults, parents, grandparents, pastors, youth ministers, anybody that works with kids on dealing with all these uh, unusual and uh, disordered sexual things going on in our in sure. our culture right. to help them really be able to address this with the kids in a in a way that is uh, uh, built around the faith, but also makes sense. Something that you can right. reach them with to help them to understand a lot of these things are not only bad, but you know, but evil. Well, we want to help them yeah, yeah. Tell things. us
1: a little bit more about who's teaching it because I thought her bona fides were really awesome. So tell us more about yes, her. Yes,
3: the teacher is going to be Dr. Sandra Haypenny. Many of the people in our Waco area know her because she taught theology at Bishop Bruce Rocker Catholic School for 10 years. Very involved at Baylor. I'm pretty sure she's an, an adjunct uh, professor out there and actually led one of our classes on the Vatican II documents. So, uh, very, very knowledgeable and intelligent on the face, teaches Bible studies all the time. And uh, you couldn't have a better person. Mother, grandmother, you know, she's she's done it all. She has the knowledge and the lifelong experience to help teach this free event to help parents and any adult that work, is working with that you. That sounds
1: wonderful. And registration is open?
3: It's open. And to register, you can call 254 644 0407 or email pro-life pro-life waco at gmail.com this is is a is promoted and sponsored by uh, pro-life waco so a uh, great organization behind it great teacher teaching it <clears throat> i think it'll be a good help to our uh, our adults in this uh, absolutely in the world that we're living in
1: maybe maybe i should interview One her other, maybe you should
2: interview her <laughs>
3: <laughs> oh, she's wonderful. Yeah. yeah I, I like think that. she may have been on Red Sea before oh, Dennis okay. could tell you that. I
2: think she has and and I think that is a great idea, Pam. Um mm-hmm. let's let's follow up with that. Uh not right now, of course, but uh you know, after the show, Deacon Robin, maybe follow up with Sandy yeah. and see. And and kudos. Gosh, John uh, Pachata and all the great folks at Pro Life Waker are just doing so much great work there. Mm-hmm. So thanks be to God for all of them and Sandy Haypenny for for putting this on. That it's much uh, much needed, much
3: needed for sure. I actually spoke with John Pashada yesterday about this, and he was encouraging me to let people know about it because they, uh, you know, we're a little bit out. But he said that uh, they still have a lot of spots open. So if you're interested in in uh, learning about this, it's going to be uh, from seven to nine Monday, February the sixth at Bishop Rocker uh, School. Great. So just uh, spread again, the word. You can call. Yeah, yeah. call 254 yeah. 644 to register or prolifewaco at gmail.com. So uh, one Wonderful. other thing I want to mention, it's a little bit farther out, February the 18th, and Dennis and I are going to be at this, this particular event. It's the 11th Annual Catholic Men's Conference uh, for the Diocese. It's going to be at uh, San Jose down in, uh, in Austin, uh, 8 to 4, so, uh, this is a great conference. It's got tremendous speakers on the faith. Uh, as, the, as I mentioned, it's the 11th year that this has been going on. And Dennis is now going to be down there to broadcast it live.
2: It'll be great to see uh, Deacon Harold Burke Sivers once yeah. again. He's going to be headlining the whole event. And so, man, talk about getting yourself yeah, fired up. Such he, a joy. Yeah, he is amazing. So, it'll be great to see him again.
1: All right. Well, I want to go you. ahead and turn it over. Is there anything else, Deacon Robin? That's it. Uh, Thank you, Deacon Robin. Appreciate the
2: call in. We'll talk to you in a little
3: while. Keep
1: up the good work.
3: Yep. God bless you all. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Bye-bye.
1: Well, now I'm going to turn. So as I was preparing for the show, one of the first things on my mind was about the St. Anthony's spaghetti dinner and then i arrive and kathy's all like charged up to tell us all about it so kathy why don't you give us some details all the deets all the deets, <laughs> all the deets on the saint anthony dinner because many of us that don't go to saint anthony's don't want to miss it absolutely um
0: our spaghetti dinner will be february the 12th at saint anthony's malinowski center we will start serving at 9.30 to 2 for your to-go orders and 10.30 to 2 for the dining room. Um, everything will be packed in to-go containers, so don't need to bring a pot. Um, we still have a lot of people that come in and say, well, I want it in my pot. Well, that doesn't happen, so <laughs> just come get your containers. Bring a big box. Um, we will start uh, baking our cookies on January the. 31st and february the 1st that's usually two very busy days so if you have a couple of hours and you want to learn our italian traditions come on down we'll teach you we'll get you an apron we'll set you in a spot and we'll show you what we
1: do Um, that's pretty awesome so it is it's great yeah what what is like the flavor there's several different kinds so what is the most popular well
0: actually we only do two now we do the traditional italian ring cookies and we do the traditional fig cookies. So the ring mm-hmm. cookies will be on January the 31st and the fig cookies on February 1st. Got to get some.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Speaking of get some, the, so tell us how to uh, to get tickets. Do you have to get it in okay. advance? you buy at
0: the door? No. How does that work? You can do several different ways. Our tickets are $15 each this year. Uh, we will not have children tickets. So buy that extra plate and have leftovers.
2: Yeah, right. <laughs> that never happens.
0: <laughs> no, it's always a good choice. Um, you can get them at the church office. You can also get them from any altar society member, or you can buy them at the door the day of. Okay. Okay.
2: Yeah. No. Actually, I I, I do say that that does happen on our house because it is a lot of spaghetti they serve you. In in uh, okay. yeah. So we usually turn it into two or three meals, actually. Yeah. But you, it come hungry because it's so good.
1: So if you if you just do to go, I, I would like to like go in because I like the social part of it too. But uh, for just to do and to go, can you just drive up and purchase it, or do you need no. to advance purchase?
0: No, you can you can come in and get a ticket for the to go. Also, the oh. only things you have to advance order are the gallons of sauce and meatballs, oh. which we do supply those also. They are a call-by-order only. You need to call the church office at 823-8145. Give your order to Joanne. And it's uh, one gallon of sauce and 12 meatballs for $45. Wow. The sauce only, which is a gallon, for 40 And then we sell our meatballs, $18 a dozen. Wow. Uh, the cutoff date for that is February the 6th. And if we do get above and beyond like we have been... Those will be cut off by the 6th. Wow. So get your order in.
2: Pick we, up, uh, we serve what, over 3,000 plates?
0: We, we serve about 3,200 plates. Uh, our biggest year was 3,274.
1: Wow. So, yeah. So
0: it's a lot of work, oh, but it and is the, so And the proceeds
1: worth
0: it. go where? The, um, the Altar Society takes care of our altar at St. Anthony's. Mm-hmm. Um, if we don't have flowers, we have flowers up there. We take care of all the hosts, the wine. We take care of all the vestments for our Father and the deacons, all the altar linens. Uh, we just recently did some cleaning to the pews. So our mission is to take care of our altar. Right.
1: Wonderful. That's beautiful. Mm-hmm.
2: So, those of you that don't recognize that voice, uh, Kathy Court is our administrative coordinator here at Red Sea Catholic Radio and Red Sea Apostolate we love Kathy so much and we are going to to miss her presence around here during the spaghetti dinner (laughs) time because she is also the one in charge of the entire spaghetti dinner. So well, God, and then Kathy.
1: um,
2: Yeah. Thanks be to God. So we will miss her because we've given her free reign to, to do that because it is such an intense, intense uh, process of, of labor and love. Um, And it is a lot of work. And so, we, we are so blessed to have Kathy here. And so uh, you will be blessed if you go have. And it's well, well worth the travel to come in from all around to come to St. Anthony's. For sure. For One sure. more time yeah. on the day. February 12th. There
0: you go. In time. 9.32 to is to-go orders. 10.32 to
1: is the dining room. That is awesome. And get your tickets from an altar society or just show up and get your tickets. You and, can buy them okay. at the door from the door.
0: any altar society or the church office.
1: Perfect. Love it. Love it. Love it. Well, Dennis, I'm turning my thoughts to you now with just a little bit of time left. About Let's talk about these saints that are going on this week.
2: Well, uh, on Friday, we have two saints, St. Saint Fabian and St. Sebastian. Mm. And St. Fabian was a layman and a stranger in Rome at the time of the papal election. And it says, when a dove... Set, settled upon his head, those around him were reminded of the descent of the Holy Spirit of Jesus at his baptism. And it was seen as a divine sign. And Fabian was chosen to be Pope and served for 14 years until his martyrdom during a persecution. Wow. And St. Sebastian, uh, we know mostly from him, is, it's a legend, uh, but he was martyred in Rome and buried in the catacombs. And St. Ambrose wrote that St. Sebastian came from Milan where he had been venerated since the fourth century, not until the late medieval period was Sebastian pierced, uh, shown he was. All right, not yeah. until the late medieval mm-hmm. period was Sebastian pictured with arrows or holding an arrow. Like him, we pray for courage when we're called upon to speak for. He's Christ.
1: patron saint of athletes. That's that's what sticks out to me the most about him. Yeah, Saint Sebastian.
2: Pray oh, for us.
1: Pray for us. Thank you so much. Yeah, yeah. I uh, am so excited about the second half of the show because. I really enjoy doing a crossover now and then of the podcast that Megan Silas and I get together and we do this. It's like two two friends, dear friends who believe that holy friendships help us grow closer to God. And so about twice a year, I do a crossover so you can hear the podcast. You can get a feel for it, what it's like on Red Sea. And then if it sparks your interest and you want more, you can go to any of your favorite podcast platforms and look up the word shoulder, number two, shoulder, and can find all of our episodes. And I am so happy to announce... First time heard over the airwaves. We hit our 100th episode.
2: Just recently recorded that. That will be coming out in a few weeks. So... Time flies, doesn't yeah,
1: it? Yeah, so it's incredible. So it's been such a blessing just to get to share our love of the Lord and each other on the airwaves and hope that it will bless you as well.
2: Y'all have had hundreds of, a ep- hundred episodes, but thousands upon thousands of downloads. So go check oh, it out.
1: Oh, yes, please. It will bless us. And so stay tuned to this next part of the crossover
2: of Shoulder to Shoulder and Red Sea Roundup. Looking forward to it. Red Sea Roundup Part 2 coming at you live.
1: Welcome back. This is a very special crossover edition of Red Sea Roundup and Shoulder to Shoulder. This is a podcast that the Shoulder to Shoulders is a podcast that is sponsored by Red Sea Radio, and I'm so happy to have my cohort, cohort, cohort. I like cohort. Yes, <laughs> it is a cohort, yeah. right? Uh, with with me, Ma- Megan Silas. Megan, so good to be doing this crossover with you today. Hi, Pam. It's so good to be part of it, and uh,
4: it's always fun whenever we get to do the the podcast together. But when we actually get to do double duty and have a roundup really? episode at the same time, that's fun and. I actually quite enjoy being more the uh, sit back and let you ask the questions okay. and, and totally let you be in charge. So that, that's that's me right now. I'm going to be in the response mode. <laughs>
1: right. Well, I really love doing this just a, a couple of times a year, to, Megan, to let our listeners know about the podcasts that Red Sea Radio actually has. The best way to find us or the easiest way for me is through our app. But of course you can find a shoulder to shoulder and that's shoulder, the word shoulder, number two word shoulder on any of your favorite podcast platforms, right? Right. So I want to really thank Dennis and the radio station for allowing Megan and I to to do this. It's been wonderful and fun. Right. I have
4: to say like, you know, I listen to other podcasts on, you know, various outlets and it's always interesting, you know, they're they're constantly trying to raise money because like, we can't make this podcast without your support. We have, you know, these people to pay and all this sort of thing. And every time I hear someone saying that, I just feel so blessed that we have this opportunity through Red Sea Radio and their absolute beautiful generosity um, to produce this for us. It, it, it makes it, possible. Like, right. you know, we just aren't in a place where we're going to be trying to do this huge marketing kind of thing to to try to make money to um, do the podcast in particular. So we're just so blessed. So, right. you know, would ask uh, anyone who's a fan of the podcast to certainly uh, can consider supporting Red Sea Catholic Radio because they do beautiful things right. uh, you,
1: much beyond this podcast. You can make a donation at www.redsearadio.org. Yeah, great. so to support us there. So today, Megan, we have a very timely and beautiful um, topic. So why don't you introduce what our topic is going to be today?
4: Well, I, I, you know, approached Pam about doing a podcast on the topic of the papacy in the heart of your everyday lay Catholic. Mm. Um, I found that I had a really profound response to the passing of Pope Benedict the 16th. And I'm just going to like claim to call him Pope Benedict the 16th instead of Pope Emeritus, because the reality is, is that we always call popes after they've passed Pope exactly. and, and he was a Pope. And and so that's, that's where I'm going with that. And uh, so I, I really felt a strong emotional response uh, with his passing. And for me, there's a lot kind of wrapped up in that, that I feel like we could talk about because I think it's relevant to more than just me. Sure. Um, but I just thought it was an interesting topic because I think it's easy to, you know, look at the Pope as an individual or the papacy as an office in a way that can be sort of less personal to your own heart. And just like, oh, you know, maybe I don't like what this guy's doing, or maybe I don't agree with how this person sees the role of Pope or or whatever. But this idea of like, what does the Pope mean to me as a Catholic? And has that changed over the course of, you know, my being a Catholic for, for many, that'll be the, their lifetime. Has that changed over their lifetime? For me, it's has it changed over... You know, the past um, well, is it, 11 years since Isn't I've been 11? Catholic, uh, you know, so it's, I think it's a a timely discussion right. and, and something that uh, is important because it is a distinguishing feature of Catholicism. I mean, it's one of the things that is particularly unique to the Catholic Church, uh, the office of the Pope. Um, we share so much in common with our Orthodox brothers and sisters But that one thing is really the sticky wicket.
1: Right, right. right. So who was Pope when you became Catholic? Well, it was Pope Benedict XVI. And I think
4: think, so that's one of the big reasons why I did have such a response to his passing, because immediately what my heart felt was he was my first pope. Mm. But how quickly that went to he was my first pope spiritual father Mm. as pope right and so that idea of spiritual fatherhood and what does that mean to have the pope as a spiritual father and how do we experience that as catholics i think is an interesting question to explore and it's probably going to be different for different people you know and you know you can share your own experiences with that as well but uh when we're in a place where maybe there's less, um, what's the word I want to use, unity yes. as it relates to the the Pope, mm-hmm. um, I think it becomes more and more important to like share our true hearts about what we're feeling and, and how we're experiencing that office and the person in that office as a spiritual father and what Christ intended in giving us a Pope.
1: Right. Well, when I came into the church, it was JP2. <laughs> yeah. So and had, it was for a lot of people. Wow. Right? Yeah. His reign was so long. Yeah. And I was I was deeply um attached. I was so attached to him. Mm-hmm. Just the the beauty that he was and, and watching, you know, like World Youth Day in Denver and in Mexico and things like that. It was like Wow. I was very profoundly touched by the saintly man. Yes. Mm-hmm. And um, of course, I had like I was more like there's no way someone can be as awesome as him. And who is this Benedict kind of thing? Mm-hmm. But then I came to see the utter beauty. It's like it's like with our kids. Our kids have their own gifts and talents that are all very special and very different. Mm-hmm. Um, but you love them um, differently, but just as much, right? And I found that to be a very welcome and comforting surprise or newness. It was just new mm-hmm. to me when Benedict came along. And and to see that, you know, while J.P. two is very much a scholar, I think of him more warm and fuzzy, where I thought of Benedict as just... Very cerebral, cerebral and thoughtful, and loved his work.
4: Mm-hmm. Well, and that's a thing that's really interesting to me because, because I didn't experience JP2 as my Pope. Um, so I saw him as a figure on the world stage, and I recognized his charisma but my so but that was a very superficial and I didn't really dig into anything that he wrote or anything mm. like that. And so when I came to be a catholic and then was living as pope benedict as the pope and then had these writings of John Paul II, right? Because John Paul II has passed away and so his his charisma, his personality was not something that I was Engaging with right, I, I really didn't engage with him in his persona and his personality. So my engagement with John Paul II was really much, uh, really in his writings. And I so at the same time as I was able to read some of John Paul II writings, I actually um, was also able to read Benedict's writings. Mm. And actually, for me, Saint John Paul II is less accessible and less warm fuzzy than benedict
1: his writings his writings yes. in
4: his writings yes. because his style of writing is extremely cerebral it is extremely dense it's the kind of stuff where often you have to read the same paragraph like two or three times to be like okay what is he getting at mm-hmm. you know um but benedict i experienced his writings and his persona simultaneously and they were so congruous for me. Mm. Like there was a gentleness, a quietness, a humility with great, great depth. And it was, I, I really, as someone who grew up loving C.S. Lewis, I was, before I went through my little turn of agnosticism, I, when I was growing up as an evangelical Christian, You know, even from a very young age, I read C.S. Lewis on my own, you know, mere Christianity and and a lot of his uh, apologetic work. And the thing that always um, struck me about C.S. Lewis is how he was able to state very profound concepts very simply and very accessibly to the point where you're like, oh, of course, of course. Mm. And I feel like Benedict had that quality as well, where it was like. There was nothing that he, it didn't seem like there was anything he was trying to prove, anything he was like trying to make of himself. Very much, let's look at Jesus, look at Jesus. You know, I read his um, trilogy on Jesus of Nazareth and just the life of Jesus. It was just so beautiful. And one of the things that really affected me also was reading Spirit of the Liturgy and just... His love for Christ in the Eucharist and the fact that the Mass is such a transcendent thing that has meaning and beauty that is beyond what we can even comprehend, but that our attempts at entering into it should have the utmost reverence and understanding, and understanding the power of what is taking place. And those things just impacted me so much. And so what I really felt as I was, you know, faced the reality that he was gone was the recognition that to me, he'd been a very good father. Mm. He corrected when he needed correcting. Mm-hmm. He was clear, unambiguous and faithful to the teachings of the Catholic faith. And unapologetic about them, even while he was tenderhearted to those who had not come to the place of consenting to them.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: And I, even though he hadn't been active and public, there was a safety in his being alive. Mm, you know, interesting.
1: I, I just have to kind of, kind of jet in here just for a second, because my experience of his death was, quite different than yours. You were joyful? I was joyful. Yeah, that was a lot of the, a lot of my friends felt the same way too. I all of a sudden say, like, "Oh, he's relieved of his mortal body. He's going to be in heaven. He'll be able to do so much more good in heaven for the church than he was when he was in his mortal body." That was that was my th- first thoughts. There mm-hmm. was relief for him. I felt a sense of relief for him. Um I, and felt, I felt relief that for the church yeah. as well. Mm-hmm. Um I did not have that experience with JP2. I I was very very sad, you know. Mm-hmm. Right. But yeah. that was gosh, a while back.
4: Yeah, I think that I I was able to hold both of those things at the same time. But I think that idea of him as a safe harbor, it's very interesting to bring in like some of the psychology of childhood and parenting and attachment theory, which is very much talks about how in your earliest formation— those people who are your caretakers, ideally your parents, what is best for human flourishing is for in those very young stages, those very um, early ages, that your parents would be consistent and they would be reliable Mm -hmm. and loving. And the word safe, just a safe place Because when they become that safe foundation, then they are a launching pad for you to go out and explore, knowing that you have a safe harbor to come back to. Right, right. Right. And I think Benedict, for me, was that as a pope. Like he was a safe, consistent, clear voice for the church that I didn't have to worry what he was going to say. I didn't have to like, oh, my gosh, there's another like, interview with Pope Benedict and what's he going to say now that's going to challenge what I thought was true mm-hmm. about the Catholic faith, mm-hmm. you know, or what's going to make me feel confused or uncertain? Like, and that's the reality that I feel like I live in now with Pope Francis,
1: mm-hmm.
4: that he hasn't been a safe spiritual father in my life. And so I'm not going to speak to everybody else. This is, I'm really just sharing my own personal feelings about what it is to look to the Pope as a spiritual father, to have had one that was consistent and consoling and then to, to now not have that. And to, so I think I was like feeling the total loss of that, you know, with the loss of Benedict, um, Where now it's only this place of uncertainty as far as what the father's going to say, right? And so then to function as a Catholic where you have to kind of shift in a way to, all right, it's not so much what's Peter say. It's, okay, well, what's been the teaching of the magisterium over the ages, You know what I mean? So you kind of lose that personification of fidelity to the, you know, faith handed over by the saints.
1: Gotcha. Yeah, but um, I also want to get to, like, both of our thoughts really on, as converts, what the office of the papacy and the whole structure Mm -hmm. kind of means to us. And, like, what was our process? I mean, did you come in with a, like— What's this all about? I'm not so sure about this hierarchy thing, or you know, like our different perspectives on on what we thought and when we started to see the structure with the papacy.
4: Yeah, I am actually in my, you know, I as you know, Pam, I had a very quick conversion. Like it wasn't like I struggled for you know years to try to come to grips with the different teachings. Is in a real profound way, the Holy Spirit kind of revealed a lot of things to me that made me assent to the Catholic faith and. I actually um, came to the understanding of the absolute necessity for the hierarchy and a pope Mm. very quickly. Because um, if anyone who who has heard my, you know, conversion story um, knows that the thing that the Lord used to bring me into the Catholic faith was the idea of unity, that Christ, Mm meant it when he said— that he wanted us to be one. And that when he says there is, you know, when his Bible says there should be one baptism, one shepherd, one church, and that, and when Christ prays in John chapter 17, that we may be one so that the world will know that the father sent him, this idea that our ability to witness to the truth of who Jesus Christ is does depend on our being united in faith, united in truth, and that that only happens among human beings if there is a visible head which can ultimately make the final say about this is the truth that Christ has compelled us to follow. And I think it's so—if you look at how— The family structure is set up. The church is basically, you know, this, you know, Red Sea Catholic Radio, we talk about it, which is religious education for the domestic church. It's been the church's understanding that the the family unit is the domestic church is the primary unit and that the broader church is simply the expression of the individual family unit on a broader scale. Mm -hmm. And the Bible is clear that the father is the head of the home and that the wife and the children are meant to be under his headship. Mm -hmm. And there's a reason for that. Under
1: his protection.
4: Protection, Mm -hmm. but but his guidance. Mm -hmm. And I think it's interesting, like when you look at scripture just recently, you know, we've just come out of the Christmas season. And just after we go through the beautiful, you know, stuff of the nativity and, you know, you've got the Magi coming. And then, well, what happens right after the Magi? The Lord comes to Joseph and tells him in a dream, you need to leave now. You need to go to Egypt because, you know, your son's life is in danger. And so... As much as we love and honor Mary as the, you know, ultimate in God's creation, and she is Saint, you know, Prima, right? The Lord still acted through what he established as the family, you know, order, Right. told Joseph, You take your family and you go. And so I've reflected on that in light of the papacy and understanding that the role of the father is to protect, to guide, to lead to security. And the Lord will use his vicar on earth in that manner for the church. And if that's not happening, the family is in peril. Mm -hmm. If Joseph doesn't play his role— as head of the home and say mary let's go girl we got to go the lord has said to go jesus is in danger mm. this is the role of the pope to be that spiritual head in my mind you know right. you know to be the father of the church right. because we need a father
1: yeah my my uh, impression was I can't say it as eloquently as you have, Megan, but very similar. <clears throat> I did find comfort in the structure as well. I thought this makes more sense because, you know, the buck's got to stop somewhere. Right. And when you look at the history of the Catholic Church, um, we have so far been spared from, you know, radical ideas becoming part of our doctrine because we have such a— Structure and hierarchy in place to vet this according to the Holy Spirit. Right. Uh, Whereas coming from different faiths, there's not a lot of, I don't know if structure is the right word you would say, but uh, for me, I found, and part of my conversion story was um, in doing research for a college paper, I came across the Catechism of the Catholic Church. Mm -hmm. And the thoughtfulness and of that book and that there's the, 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 the ring of truth that was in that. Well, that just doesn't happen in a vacuum, you know, it, mm-hmm. it happened in a structure. And so I guess, you know, the structure in itself, again, it's like the borders and the parameters that make us feel safe, you know?
4: Right. And give us then the freedom to explore things like the, the Catholic church is, has absolutely no fear of exploring all kinds of theological concepts and, and digging deep into scripture and try and coming up with, you know, various interpretations and everything. We can have these discussions. We can have the freedom to quote unquote play in the playground mm-hmm. because there's a fence that says, you know, okay, you're, now you're getting way too close to the edge of what's no longer true. You we're not going to go there. You're, you know, you're not, you're not going there. And I think that um, it's almost like if you look at it in, kind of in the a sense of a relationship, like if you think of it in terms of, say, a romantic relationship, the difference between a marriage and dating, right? Like when you say we have a commitment, we have, you know, put this, you know, border around this relationship that says there are things not allowed. There are, you know, and you... Are, have expectations about what is appropriate within that relationship and that, you know, and that to dissolve that relationship would be a huge deep rupture as opposed to just like, okay, well, I've just decided I'm not interested. Right. And so that's what we have established in the church where we, we have a covenantal relationship in a sense with each other as part of the church and that to go outside of what the church teaches is a rupture right exactly. and so that's a protection against what disunity and mm-hmm. then you see what happens in the unfortunate situations in the in the protestant denominations that just splinter and splinter and splinter and what's to stop it because if you've got you know two groups of people within a denomination or even more than that who vigorously disagree on an important piece of doctrine If nobody gets the say about who's, what's going to be what we follow, there's no other option but to break apart. Exactly. Right?
1: And divide. Yeah. And
4: divide. And Mm -hmm. then what that does is not only does it hurt people, it's painful. I have talked to people who have been part of um, a, a church that just split just because they they whatever the reasons whether they were doctrinal or whether they were personal cuz sometimes it's just pride or disagreements among about finances things mm-hmm, like that mm-hmm. and the church just splits and it's like a divorce in a mm-hmm. in, in a family yes right and so the lord doesn't want that because not only does it hurt hearts it also significantly diminishes our ability as christians to be witnesses to non-christians
1: About who Christ is, right? Yeah, it's a firm foundation. It's a firm foundation. Yeah, you sound like
4: Marcus Grody now. Do I? He wrote a book called Firm Foundation. Oh, okay, (laughs) I didn't know that. Yeah, Um, But yeah, so, so then when we find ourselves in a place where
1: the firm, the foundation seems less firm, right? Right. Well. Standing on Firm Foundation, let's talk about some of our favorite and quite um, amazing papal documents. Because there's several out there that have really touched me deeply and changed me um, from JP2 and Benedict, mm-hmm. I can honestly say, um, through some of the studies that, oh, my goodness. So, um, I would say that my favorite Document and again, this goes back to the father of the church, the head of the church, really teaching his children and interpreting scripture and the magisterium and all of that. Mm-hmm. And it was on human suffering, on redemptive suffering. Oh, yeah, that's a it's beautiful document. Definitely, probably my top mm-hmm. JP. Too, yeah. Um, he really taught me, and this is, I'm going to quote a line, I quote this all the time in daily life. Um, from that document, and I am paraphrasing to some extent, but he said that, that Christ, while his suffering was absolutely complete and redemptive for the whole human race, left enough room for us humans to join him by uniting our sufferings to his hmm. to participate in the salvific action.
4: Yeah, and it's just a, such a beautiful understanding of suffering. I think. One of the things that after I became Catholic and and went much deeper into this idea of the Catholic understanding of human suffering, it is a theology that is so well um, fleshed out Mm -hmm. and so very beautiful and so healing. For those who have suffered, it's a whole new world. It's it's beautiful, and I think that unfortunately, like I think sometimes people get miss they misinterpret it. They they don't understand it fully because maybe you know they grew up in a you know a Catholic culture where you know you had a grandma or whatever just offer it up, just offer it yeah. up, you know. And it's yes and no. Like right. th- there's this thing of like don't dismiss the suffering by be like, it's a good thing that you're suffering because you can offer it up, right? Like this nuanced understanding of is suffering good? Yes and no, right? right? Does the Lord delight in the suffering of his people? No, a hundred percent. No, he does not delight in their suffering. He does not want suffering. He did not create us for suffering. And yet... He is the God that makes all things new. He's the God that brings good out of evil and he brings ultimate good out of ultimate evil. And so he transforms things and it's so beautiful, but I think sometimes Catholics, you know, can get cast as I, in fact, my husband, he was even saying this one time. He's like, you Catholics feel like, you know, you're not good Christians unless you're suffering or yeah. something. I was like, no, that is a completely—that's a wrong-headed understanding of what that theology is all about.
1: Yeah,
4: we are good Christians to the extent that we accept with total surrender and peace whatever God brings into our lives, right. and we offer it back to Him as a holy sacrifice. Yeah, right. And so it's not so about true. oh, I want to suffer, I want to suffer, so that because then I can be good. No, is I want to be united in Christ, with Christ in all things, right. and that includes suffering.
1: What that reminds me of is the beautiful book, The Abandonment to Divine Providence, mm-hmm. to start to be able to live in a way that you embrace the eternal now, right? And mm-hmm. what happens to you is either in God's permissive will or holy will, right? Mm -hmm. And that was really transformative for me to understand life is beautiful and he he can make lemonade out of lemons if we just let him and not fight him on it. Right. And it takes a lot of trust, right? Because Mm -hmm.
4: we're not always going to see that culmination, Mm -hmm. that good being brought out of evil. We might not see it in this life, but to trust that he is all good, that he is all loving and that he does know better what mm-hmm. will be good for our lives than, than we do, you know? And I was just pondering something, you know, the other day about my own life that I was like not ideal. Like I just, it just did it, you know, something, you know, a, a reality within my life that's been persistent that's not ideal and wondering like why is it that the Lord persists in, in the allowing this to be right. And, you know, I just came to the conclusion. I was like, you know, I have no idea who I would be or what I would look like if that reality had been different. Mm. Like maybe I would be a much more prideful person and much less open to the Lord being a minister to my heart if I didn't have that circumstance. Right.
1: That reminds me of like you hear oftentimes, you know, this is my story, and I'm better for it. Mm. You know, like we have these trials and tribulations that we go through, and you say I wouldn't be the same person I am today had I not been through those trials. Right, um, because we're always being turned and changed and purified, interiorly purified. Yes. Yeah. But Benedict, one of his favorite examples, or excuse me, his uh, encyclicals. What do you say? I have mine. Do you have yours? Honestly.
4: I, I I am not very good at attaching the authors to, to the encyclicals. Oh, okay. So I, the, the, when you asked what my favorite encyclical was, it's Fides Ratio. But I don't think that's Benedict. I think that's actually JP two as well. Is it? Um, but faith and reason. On you know, and this idea that um, we don't have to check our brains at the door in order to be believers. Because, you know, I've always been a person who just really liked to kind of dig deep and and really ponder things and question and challenge. I mean, I love a good argument, mm-hmm. you know, with somebody. Like, I love it when people disagree with me and then vigorously defend their position and then I learn from them. and And so this idea that we don't have to let the, you know— separate science and faith and philosophy and spirituality. Like that, that this, we are all meant, we're meant to be totally integrated in all Mm -hmm. these places. And what it has really done for me is to be absolutely fearless. Like I am unafraid of anything Mm -hmm. that people want to bring at me as it relates to science or philosophy or theology, because it's like, if it's true, it's, it's of Christ. And so let's look at whatever together and find out, you know, to the best of our ability through, you know, our reason and the light of the Holy Spirit to determine what's true. And so there's no fear. And I feel like what it does for me is just, it makes everything that is true mine. You know, when some, I had a Protestant say to me once, well, you know, I, I don't wouldn't, necessarily talk to you about this because it's, you know, not part of your, of the Catholic tradition or whatever. And I'm over here like, I'm not challenged by anything that's true. So if you think something's true, bring it to me because I want to know it if it's true. And if it's not true, maybe I can, you know, bring you to a place of understanding of why you might want to question it. Let's have the conversation. But I think some people function out of this place of um, fear of being challenged or fear that their faith can't withstand arguments against it. And that's no place to live as a Christian. No.
1: You know, the, but I have to say as, as, a, as a new Catholic, I was there, like I wanted to really be more immersed in my faith before I went out and tried to defend it. That's for sure. Because <laughs> I, well, I felt of course, a little of course. insecure, even though I knew it to be truth, I didn't have enough Knowledge to be mm. able to defend in the way I wanted. But, okay, to answer my own question. Yeah, answer your own question. Uh, what was my favorite? Yeah. Um, it, of his was absolutely Space Salvi. Oh, Saved yeah. in oh, Hope. Oh, yeah, yeah. That, um, we did actually a book study on it in one of my um, prayer groups. And just, it's like, at the heart of that one is that Christians are a people of hope. Because Christ is hope. Mm-hmm. So that as long as we have Christ, we have hope to be with him eternally. And I'm paraphrasing, yeah. obviously, but I was just like, wow. And this this really convicted me to be a person of hope and a person of joy. If I am authentically Christian, then I will be that person of hope and joy.
4: Right. And I do think that um, the question of hope really does find its source in trust, right? Because, you know, I love it when, when uh, Paul says, you know, faith, hope, and love. These, th- these three remain, but the greatest is love. And, you know, the reason that the greatest is love is because in the end, actually, even faith and hope will no longer be. Because once we achieve the beatific vision, we will know just as we are fully known, we will know fully just as we are fully known. So when we know fully just as we are fully known and we achieve the hope that we have as Christians, which is to be in the beatific vision, faith and hope are no longer necessary Mm -hmm. because faith Mm -hmm. and hope require trust. But once we are in that place where we know fully and see him fully, we no longer have to have faith or hope because we have had the realization of our hope and the, and, and the, and the, illustration of what we had faith in. Right. And so hope then love remains. But I think as we are prior to that point, as we are, you know, wandering in this Valley of tears that we have right now, where we, we must remain in faith and hope if we are to actually love, it comes down to trust because how can we hope for something if we do not trust that there is one who can make it come to be. You know, and we know how much we are incapable of making real. There's so much beyond our ability. There's so much weakness in us and so much littleness in us and so much that will prevent us from realizing these great, beautiful, existential hopes that we have as human beings that only human beings have, Mm -hmm. that are our very nature built within us and it's like you know so you know cs lewis actually talked about this is that you don't long for something that there's nothing to satisfy it and our longing for something beyond this world for the transcendent has been created in us by god and can only be made manifest in us through god
1: yes our hopes are our hearts restless till they rest in him absolutely so
4: yeah i think getting back to the the position the the papacy and and you know where we're at, you know and and I'll admit and I have admitted in this that you know for with Pope Francis, I don't feel that safe secure place mm-hmm. that um, that safe harbor of where I just feel completely the trust that he's not going to say something that is seems contrary to the faith or at least confusing, or obscure about, mm. you know, what truth is. How do we function in that place as Catholics? Um, you know,
1: I, I, I can speak to how, kind of how I've gone about it in a way is, is really the, um, God is in control, abandonment mm-hmm. divine providence. He's allowed this and this pope for this time for a purpose and a reason. And he will make good of all of it. And it's that trust again, Megan, right. that you're saying. I trust God's in control. And there are times, in the words of my dear friend Donna, she would say, she'd look at such a mess and say, how are you going to get us out of this one, Lord? Right. And I love that. I think that's really very yeah. appropriate. Just that's That's really the trust that we should have right now.
4: Right. And I think it's also really important to remember that, No pope will ever live up to what a perfect pope could be because really the pope is the vicar of Christ on earth, but he's not Christ Mm -hmm. and he will never be and he never has been and there'll always be things where places where he'll fall short. And so we as much as we should, I think, as Catholics, respect the pope and respect the office and have affection for him and pray for him. Pray y'all for him, pray yes. for him no Amen. matter what you think. You, If you're not praying for the pope every day, I think we're falling short as Catholics. We ought to be. Yes, exactly. And so for sure. Recognize the yeah. limitations of the person in the office
1: and yes, pray and trust in Christ. Yes. Yeah. But I want to add in here at the end about shoulder to shoulder. We will be continuing our book. So yes. We have two more chapters. Yes, left we will on be getting book. back to that with shoulder to shoulder. But and if you are Red Sea Roundup listeners, please head on over to your favorite podcast platform for shoulder to shoulder. So I'm gonna say thank you for walking shoulder to shoulder with us today Amen in this crossover. And with our Red Sea Roundup listeners, I pray that you might Tune into it. It's been a fun conversation. So these are the type of conversations Megan and I have on a regular basis that are hopefully very edifying to the Lord and for you to be a part of our, um, our just love of God. And we usually like to say also at this time, um, again, that I say go and love your neighbor with the Red Sea Roundup, but it is what? What? Uh,
4: I don't know. The closing
1: it's... for shoulder to shoulder, we usually say.
4: Oh, yeah. Uh, now I'm just
1: blanking, so. Yeah. Pray Pray for for us us and we'll pray for you. Pray for us and we'll pray for you. And if you ever have any subject items that you would like to add for shoulder to shoulder, we'd be happy to address them at our email. Tell them the email. Uh, I think the easiest way is to message us
4: on Facebook, actually. So shoulder to shoulder podcast Mm -hmm. on Facebook. If you just want to message us there, uh, you know, we keep an eye on that. And uh, that's the best way.
1: Yeah, for sure. So thank you, all of you, for joining us today on Shoulder to Shoulder and Red Sea Roundup crossover. We're so glad that you did. And until next time, go and love your neighbor. God bless. God bless. do